0: Welcome to this Alan and Overy podcast. I'm Marmia Kwafu Okoto, a partner in our Asset Management Group in London. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Quang Chiang, who is Senior Counsel in the firm Sanctions and Regulatory Group, resident in our Washington DC office. Quang's practice focuses on sanctions, export controls and foreign direct investments. She began her career as a licensing officer at the U.S. Treasury's Department of Foreign Asset Control, which is a department that administers U.S. sanctions. Welcome, Quang. Quang, I think it would be really useful for our institutional investor clients who are listening to just explain what sanctions are and, and how they can impact investors.
1: Sure, Mamia. At a very high level, sanctions are Really economic and policy tools that different governments try to use to induce behavior in other governments, whether those governments be allies or perhaps more antagonistic. And from the U.S. perspective, we often say that sanctions can be divided into two groups. There's the primary sanctions that govern and restrict conduct by U.S. persons and activities in the United States. Or, and secondary sanctions, which are sanctions that target the non-U.S. activities of non-U.S. persons
0: think, uh, having a conversation with one investor, they sort of said, you know, what is safe to buy, what is not? What process should an investor go through when thinking about whether to invest in this fund, whether to buy that security or not? Uh, what guidance should they take?
1: Certainly. So the first question that a an investor would want to ask is, you know, who is this or what is this asset, who is behind it, right? Sanctions evolve very quickly, often without notice. So you know, keep an eye on what's going on in the news with respect to what areas seem to be of focus with respect to sanctions. Recently, it's more China. A couple years back, it was more Iran. So you know, those should be at least an initial steer as to how you would go about conducting diligence on a particular asset.
0: And I suppose some of our investors invest directly. They acquire public securities directly. Some don't. Some appoint a manager to do that on their behalf. Some of the managers might be US managers. Some might not be. What steps would you take or would you you suggest taking an investor to take? In the event that it appoints a manager, an agent to act on its behalf when acquiring public securities or, for example, where they're invested in a pooled fund and they've got a GP that's going out and buying portfolio investments. Mm-hmm.
1: The first thing would be to make sure that your manager has its own sanctions, compliance policies and ship shape. You want to make sure that you can trust your investment manager to keep an eye on what's going on with respect to sanctions developments, not with respect only to its own liability. For example, if you had a US investment manager, that manager should be aware not only of what liability itself could, could encounter, but all of its clients. So a truly savvy investment manager will be aware of what potential sanctions could be affecting its clients, for example, EU sanctions programs or UK sanctions programs. So you really do have to interview hard your investment manager to make sure that they are on top of things.
0: And to the extent that they're not, so for example, you have a manager who acquires a, seeks to acquire security or seeks to make a payment to someone who is sanctioned. Are you ultimately liable in that circumstance or can you use as your defense, oh, well, I, you know, I, I appointed this manager and therefore had no idea?
1: Yeah, so it really depends on the particular regulation or law that's, that's potentially violated. As a general rule, sanctions target both direct and indirect dealings. So might not matter very much whether you have an investment manager standing between you. And sanctions also don't necessarily require a knowledge component. So even if you were to say, oh, I didn't know, or oh, I appointed my investment manager, that might not eliminate or exclude any liability for you, the investor. What could help however, is if you build into your investment manager agreements, reps and undertakings that no activity undertaken by the manager would cause the investor to be targeted by sanctions or to violate sanctions, build in those contractual protections to show any enforcement agent, like, no, we took care of this. We took steps to make sure that we would not be running afoul of any sanctions, prohibitions.
0: Quite a scary place to be, but I suppose, as you say, you should put systems in place to ensure that you demonstrate that you've directed that manager not to act in such a way, or you've signed up to an LPA, for example, if it were to be a closed-ended fund, or indeed even open-ended, that makes clear that the fund will apply with all applicable laws and, and, and sanction requirements. Well, I think it'd be really interesting to talk about blocked payments because it's a matter that we've discussed quite a lot. If you could maybe just elaborate what blocked payments are and what an investor can do in the circumstance that it finds itself in where it's made a payment to an entity that is sanctioned. Can it simply get its money back? What is the process? It'd be useful to just have a brief
1: word on that. Sure. So blocked payments, also known as frozen payments, are payments that are blocked or frozen in the jurisdiction that has placed the targeting sanctions. So by concrete example, if we take a payee, that is the target of US asset freezing sanctions, any payment in which that payee has an interest, so that could be payments going to this payee or sanctioned person, or payments coming from that particular sanctioned person. To the extent those payments have to transit the U.S. financial system or are in the custody of a U.S. person wherever located in the world, that payment would have to be blocked or frozen. And what happens is the financial institution that is blocking the payment has to place the payment in an interest-bearing account, and there it sits unless and until OFAC lifts the sanctions or issues an authorization. So as an initial matter, The person, let's say it's an investor that's making a payment to the target of US asset freezing sanctions. The investor will not get the money back. That money is blocked in the United States. And the reason that is, is the policy is to hold the assets frozen to induce better behavior on the sanctions target. Sometimes this will happen where a sanctions target has all its money frozen it wants its money back it's turned a new leaf and will not engage in these further sanctionable activities sometimes the targets don't really much care whether their money <laughs> is blocked in the United States and will continue to engage in activities that the United States views to run counter to US national security and then you know the third option of what could happen is you know that person remains sanctioned but the payments were blocked for example Based on some sort of error. Perhaps there was a false hit to the list of sanctioned persons. In that case, the investor could petition the US Treasury Department Office of Foreign Assets Control, OFAC, and request an unblocking of the funds, in which case that investor likely would get its money back. But in cases where there was no mistaken identity and the money very much was going to, a person targeted by asset-freezing sanctions, OVAC is very unlikely to release that money back to the investor. It's going to stay frozen.
0: That's useful, I think. It is worrying for the investor who has made a mistake or who wasn't aware, but I suppose that's why one has to be making sure that they're fully present in what's going on politically. I'd like to talk a bit about the Chinese sanctions that the U.S. imposed. Because a number of our investors were quite worried and asked questions about how does this impact on the UK managers or Asian managers that they had appointed and whether the restriction was just on US managers and what does it mean to be a US person? I'd be grateful for a, a bit of a education on
1: that. Sure. So this is a really interesting sanctions program because it has evolved even in the last five or six months that it's been imposed. So the sanctions that Mamia is referring to are sanctions targeting communist Chinese military companies pursuant to an executive order that was signed during the Trump administration. In 2021, there was a change of presidential administration, now it's the Biden administration. Um, so you could probably expect perhaps a different approach in how sanctions are implemented. And so what's particularly interesting, though, is that the Biden administration has not wholesale shifted sanctions policies. What they've done is that they've tweaked and adjusted and adapted sanctions policies implemented by the Trump administration. but that are still fundamentally getting at the same thing. And here, what they're getting at are closing off access to U.S. funds by communist Chinese military companies. Now, just in the last month or so, that name, that title, communist Chinese military company has been changed to Chinese military industrial complex company right? So before it was CCMC's, now it's CMIC's. It shows, you know, the shift in approach, but fundamentally it's the same. And the prohibition really governs conduct of U.S. persons. This is clear in the guidance that OFAC has issued. Non-U.S. persons are not prohibited from dealing in securities issued by uh, CMIC's, but U.S. persons are prohibited from buying, selling, holding. There is a what's called a general license, which is an authorization for U.S. persons currently holding the security to divest. But once that general license expires, U.S. persons would need specific authorization uh, from OFEC even to divest.
0: Thank you, Quang. I think that is really informative you know, there was definitely a lot of confusion and, and there still is around what a U.S. person is and, and, and how that impacts on what one can acquire and cannot. I think you've definitely given us plenty of food for thought and definitely laid a great foundation. We would love to have another session again, as there are a number of specific questions that our listeners have raised that we definitely want to be able to answer. But for now, this is plenty, and thank you very much. My pleasure.